Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osman, here with my friend in Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masech Psachim, daf Ein Chet, page 78. So the beginning of our daf is actually very similar to the previous daf, where instead of trying to figure out if the Mishnah agrees with Rabbi Yoshua, today they're trying to figure out whether or not the Mishnah agrees with Rabbi Yossi. And again, it sort of goes through the same thing, right? Trying to figure out, does Rabbi Yossi think that uh, Tuma B'tzivor is Duchia or is it Hutra? And then they come to the conclusion in the end that maybe in certain circumstances it could be Hutra, right? That it's, you know, more than just begrudgingly allowing it, but actually could be okay. And also discussion around Rabbi Yossi about what is the what is the Tzitz do, right? Do you actually need to have, uh, does the Tzitz have to be part of the process for acceptance or does the Tzitz really have no impact there on whether or not the Korban um, is actually accepted. So it's interesting to see sort of how they work through. They never really do this with Rabbi Eliezer because I think they see that there's an easier way to read the Mishnah that agrees with Rabbi Eliezer, but sort of trying to line up these opinions with the known opinion of Rabbi Yoshua and a known opinion of Rabbi Yossi. And again, you know, to me, it's cool to see sort of the metaphysical piece of Korbanos, right? There's the technical piece of how the Avoda is actually done, you know, the shechita, how's the zrika done, which was really a very important part of, of a korban when it was given, right? And we saw that even, I, I don't think we emphasized this enough, Anne, actually, on the previous staff, right? The idea that, like, you really can't eat the meat or put the the amorim, the piece that you're going to burn up on the korban until the zrika is actually done. Um, but the metaphysical piece of sort of, you know, what does it mean when the whole congregation is tame, but you still need to allow this korban to be brought? Or when we talk about a korban being accepted, how does the role of the Kohen, Gadol, you know, in this, because I think it's sort of manifest by this idea of the tzitz, um, you know, how does that play into the avoda and what role does the Kohen Gadol uh, play with that and the acceptance of the korbanot and sort of being an intermediary between the person giving the korban and the korban ultimately being accepted. And I think we're sort of seeing this nice mesh of the technical pieces of the halakha with some of the underlying, you know, sort of metaphysical, that's what I'm calling them at least, and maybe you have a better word for them, underpinnings of what it means to bring a korban. I think metaphysical works. Yeah, okay. So we'll, we'll keep going. You know, right, but you get what I'm saying. We're going to keep going with that. Um, so now we have a new mission on this staff, and I'm going to start with the Mishnah here. So the Mishnah here is going to discuss a case if what happens if part of an individual's korban Pesach becomes tame and it begins with the following scenario. So let's say the meat, the part that you're going to eat of the Korban Pesach, right? And we've emphasized before that this was sort of the crucial piece of a Korban Pesach and what sort of separates the Korban Pesach from other Korbanos, which yes, you may eat other Korbanos, but the Korban Pesach is really brought in order to be eaten. So that piece, the meat piece becomes tame, but the Chalev uh, they use the language of like kayan, the, the, the chalav still exists. In other words, the chalav is okay. And what's the chalav? So the chalav is the parts of the korban that you're going to burn on the mizbeach. So that's the fats, the kidney, the liver, the diaphragm, um, all those pieces that you're not going to be allowed to eat. So if the meat becomes tummy and the chalav is still okay, a no zorek et tadam. So in that case, you're not going to do zrika. You're not going to actually uh, throw the blood um, on the Mizbeach. And the reason for that is, as I just said, because the eating of the Korban is the most important part. And since you're not going to be able to eat this Korban Pesach, 
the Zrika doesn't do anything, right? It, it's it's as if this this pay, this korban uh, isn't good anymore, and so therefore you're not going to do the Zrika. Then they're going to have the opposite case, right? Which is kayam. Let's say the chela becomes tummy, but the basar, you know, is okay. It still exists. Zorekatadam. In that case, you are going to throw the uh, the blood because again, the essence of this korban is to eat the meat. You're going to need to do zrika to make the meat permissible to eat. So even though you're not going to be able to burn the chaleb, we're still going to say that in this case, you should, you should throw, you should, you know, sprinkle the blood. But with other uh, korbanos, right, with other things, this is not true. In those cases, right, in other cases of korbanos, let's say the blood becomes tameh, um, but the chaleb is still okay, right? That's the original scenario, but there they're talking about the basar of the korban Pesach. Here we're talking about the basar, the meat, the part that you can eat of the korban of the other korbanos. In those cases, you actually still would do, um, you still would do zrika. And again, because in our case, what, what separates out the Korban Pesach is, is the essence is having to eat it. And if you can't eat it because the meat becomes Tameh, there's basically no reason to continue and to do any other part of the avoda. It's not going to make the meat somehow permissible to eat. And so basically this this Korban uh, is not going to be any good. So now I'm going to hand it over to you, Anne, because you're going to start with the Gemara here. Okay, so the Gemara picks this up, right? And says... Well, we've got a few different details to iron out, and also we need to figure out according to whom is this Mishnah. I'm Rav Gido, I'm a Rav. So this is the real crux of the Mishnah, right? That the question is, do you sprinkle the blood? Well, that that's what that's like the finishing touches of bringing the korban, right? That's your, what you're saying. You're, you're doing about about the Amud Aleph, but and the idea is that once you've done that, then even if the the if the meat is impure and the person offering it is impure, but it doesn't matter at some point because that would be accepted because the korban has been completed, including the sprinkling of the blood. And then you don't need that Pesach Sheni. But the Gemara says, you know, asking on this position of the Mishnah, v'haba inan achila, don't we require that the korban Pesach is going to be eaten? Right? You don't just offer it and not eat it. That would make sense that then you would wait until the Pesach, until Pesach Sheni anyway. So the Gemara answers, achila lo makva, the the fact that you have not eaten, the fact that you do not partake, uh, does not preclude it from being accepted. And I think of this as, you know, like a, if you sit down to the Pesach Seder, but you actually don't eat from the Pesach Seder, now obviously it's different. I'm not talking about the Korban. Like, I feel like if you didn't do all the motions of the Pesach Seder, then you would feel like you hadn't really done it. But doesn't mean you have to actually eat, right? As, as it turns out. Again, this is not really about the Seder. I'm just saying that the that sense of like, but you haven't been Yotze, you haven't fulfilled your obligation, is not the case, as it turns out. V'haktiv, ish lefiachlo. So the Gemara says, one second, we've got a Pasuk that says, according to each person, according to his eating, right? Meaning, don't you have to eat? That's from Shemot Yudbet. That's the same verse that teaches about the Korban Pesach to begin with. And the answer is, la mitzvah, right? Meaning, you have a mitzvah to eat, for sure. But not eating doesn't invalidate the korban being accepted. So the mark continues, lo. Why, you know, isn't it? Isn't the whole point that it's going to preclude the acceptance if it cannot be eaten? Isn't that the whole point? 
meaning everything that we've talked about up until now that it has to be eaten or has people have to be able to be eating it and so on like they can't be infirm they can't be uh you know too old whatever that we said those people cannot they would disqualify the Krom Pesach so the Gemara continues with a break that it introduces Vahatanya Bemichsat Right, in according to the numbers of its the covering, the people who are going to be participating in the Korban Pesach, it teaches the whole point of this bright, it teaches that oh, the Korban Pesach is shechted, it is slaughtered for those who are registered to participate in that particular Korban. So we say that you might think that if you shechted it, not for the people who have registered for it, then you're only then then you might think that you've violated the mitzvah, but it's still a valid thing. Talmud Lamar, so the Gemara teaches, Ish lafi achlo Then so the, the Gemara teaches based on this verse where it says specifically according to each person's eating, according to each man's eating, you should make your count. So the, the verse itself is uh, establishing the fact that it has to be eaten only by those who have registered for it, and otherwise you do preclude the offering, meaning it has to be, the Korban Pesach has to be shechted, has to be slaughtered for the registrants, and and the registrants are the people who have to eat from it. So the Gemara continues, So we should draw the comparison then between those who eat and those who are registered. Right, that makes sense because obviously the whole point you registered is so to is so that you can eat. So the rest says no, really. Rav says that this statement is all an opinion, all in accord with the opinion of Rabbi Natan. Not eating doesn't mean you haven't fulfilled your obligation to bring the offering as an offering, right? As much as you know, the eating is a sep- its own separate mitzvah, but you still could have, con- it's still considered that you would have brought the, the offering. So the Gemara wants to know which, where is the statement of Rabbi Natan that supports this whole rationale? And the Gemara makes some effort to, to you know, makes a few suggestions. And then it concludes, I'm jumping a bit. So, Rabbi Natan, there's this example, right? It's in a Brita. It says if one group is registered for the Korban Pesach and another group registers for that same Korban Pesach, and there's not enough to allow everybody to get their Kazayat, then the first people, the first group, are the people who eat the Kazayat, and the second group, and, and right, so they've eaten a Kazayat, and now they don't have to bring a Pesach Sheni, and the second group, that did not have a korban, um, did not have a kazayat from that animal. They do not eat. They have not eaten, and therefore they have to bring a pesach sheni, and they have to bring a korban and pesach sheni. So that's the brighter. But Rabbi Natan Omer, elu ve'elu p'turin milasot pesach sheni chikfar nizrak hadam. And Rabbi Natan's position on that case of the group one and group two, where group two doesn't get to eat, neither of them has to bring has to worry about pesach sheni as far as Rabbi Natan is concerned. Um, so, and then, now I'm going to jump quite a bit more, um, because the, now the Gemara is going to get into the question of, you know, what is, uh, what is Reb Natan's 
position and what does it do for the for the Mishnah? So the question for Rabbi Natan, the, the outstanding question is, if he says you don't have to eat, then what does he do with that biblical verse that says you have to eat? So he says, the gavr achila. He says that verse is to teach that everybody who's going to be registered for the Quran Pesach has to be fit to eat, right? Meaning he doesn't have to eat, but he has to be potentially able to eat. He can't be infirm. He can't be elderly to the extent that he can't eat the meat and so on. And that would disqualify. And as far as Rabbi Nathan is concerned, that um, um, reliability for eating, let's say, is enough to count it as ish lefiachlo. Um Okay, and then I'm now coming to the very towards the very end of the daf. Uh, the question is, you know, who who where do we get this idea that it's um, that that uh, let me say this better. I'm just going to read it inside, and you'll see where how this connects to the to the the authorship of the Mishnah. I'm Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Natan. He we're talking about the Mishnah, and the implication is that usually you would say that the very often, I guess, maybe not usually, the Mishnah would be held, would be following a much more majority opinion. But in this case, Rabbi Lezer says, this whole halacha is really the subject of Machloket, the Machloket Shnuya, and according to that Breita, and according to the Rabbi Natan, who says that the eating is not required, right, it's not according to the opinion of Rabbanan, of the rabbis, right? This is not the majority opinion. Rabbi Yochanan, but Rabbi Yochanan wants to line everybody up. And he says, even if you said that this was Rabbanan, you, could, you couldn't get that to work. Because if you say that, it, if you want to line it up with the opinion of Rabbanan, who would say that you, theoretically anyway, that you would have to be eating, right? That the Zrika by itself would not be enough. But in this case, if you have, and it's, you're doing, it's the case you mentioned before, if you've got a case of the majority of the public being uh, Tame, then you could say that everybody... Um, everybody would agree that you could do the Korban Pesach in that state of impurity once you've hit the status of majority impure. So there is a case for which Rabbanan would agree with Rabbi Natan in his Pesach that you don't actually have to eat. So I'm going to take back something that I said before, uh, which is that I said, you know, oh, on the other daf, you know, there was this real emphasis on Zrika that I don't think we emphasize enough. I think this daf also emphasizes it as well. Yes, yes, I... I Zrika, I feel like I don't know why Zrika is the essential part of Carbono, right? I don't have like a philosophical understanding of it except for as something that is procedural. I'm sure that there are, you know, books, Svarim, somebody out there does philosophize about exactly why this is. Maybe we will find more about it as we go on in the death. Yeah, that's kind of the question that I'm left with here also is like, why is Zrika so important? You know, it's interesting the, the you know, Shrita seemed to have been the emphasis a little bit before and now we sort of have moved into like know the Zrika piece and like why is it so important like what is it you know as we're trying to find some of the more philosophical or metaphysical underpinnings of Corbanos what is it about the the, the you know literally the sprinkling of this blood uh, that sort of opens the doors or sort of saying like you did enough of the avoda there. I will say that, and this is totally off the top of my head, right? So don't hold me to this tomorrow or the next day, you know. But it seems to me that there's like, there's a certain amount of 
the raw physicality, shchita, killing the animal, offering the animal. And then I feel like then the Kohen stands up and, or, or maybe it's not always the Kohen, but you know, for the most part, it would be the Kohen stands up and will sprinkle the blood. It's like a, it's, it's what takes it out of the realm of food in some way. You know, like there's, there's, it's doing something ritual and not just. That's an interesting uh, thing. Okay. So let's, I think let's, let's think about that. I like, I like where you're going with that. Right. In other words, like, especially for Corbanos, well, really for any Corban, whether you eat it or whether the whole thing is going to be burned, you have to kill the animal beforehand. But right. This, the, the sprinkling of the blood that the coin does on the Mizbeach it's a ritualistic piece to it, right? It has nothing to do with what you're going to actually do with the body of the, you know, it's not, it's not a necessary of how to actually sacrifice the animal itself. It's adding a a, a level of a layer of ritual that, that doesn't have to do like, of course you can't sacrifice a live animal, right? That would just be cruel. Uh, Of course, if you want to eat part of it as part of a korban, you would have to shecht it first. So this seems to just be purely within the realm of ritual. Right. And then the question is, of course, why, what would we be doing with ritual? Presumably this is, you know, there's something of greater philosophical or theological import here, which we're going to have to figure out at a later date. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff and its continued discussion of uh, Corbanos on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 